This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. That is Surrey's choice to make. And Council made that decision. We made it five months ago, and our decision has not changed. Okay, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith, and we start today with the aftershocks and aftermath of the Surrey policing non-decision today. Now, you just heard there the voice of Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke. She said, our decision has not changed They want to keep the RCMP in Surrey. Now, of course, on Friday's show, we brought it all to you live here. Solicitor General Mike Farnworth only recommending that Surrey continue with the new Surrey Police Service. Then you had the Surrey mayor turn around and say, well, okay, fine, we're keeping the RCMP then if it's only a recommendation. What a mess we've got here now. Now, check this out here now. Now, the province is saying, okay, we want you to go with this new Surrey Police Service. Yes, we know it's more expensive than the RCMP. Well, that's okay. Here's a big pile of money to help pay for it. Farnworth on Friday talking about $150 million to help Surrey pay for these policing costs. Now look what's going on. Now you have other metro mayors saying, well, hang on a sec. What about us here now? We want some money, too. Have a listen to Brenda Locke here, the mayor of Surrey, about what she's hearing from other mayors. I can tell you, I hear from mayors and councillors every day about the SPS poaching staff to the Surrey Police Service. I hear from today even, with this offer of money, I've heard from mayor, a mayor, who said, okay, if they're giving you money, it's me too. So if it was anything else, they would have come to me before today to say here's money to go our way it's very it it's suspect to me okay let's discuss now with my guest eric woodward the mayor of the township of langley very pleased to welcome him mayor woodward thank you for coming on yeah thanks mike for having me on yeah you bet let's talk about your concerns here because you're concerned about this right do you think this is like a special deal for surrey here well, it certainly feels that way on the surface. I mean, not not aware of all the details. If if Brenda Locke and her council have decided that they want to stick with the RCMP, I mean, why are, why is the province raining money down on them? You know, what about us? And uh, what is the kind of message does that send to Langley residents and taxpayers uh, using the RCMP? You know, facing similar challenges to keeping up with our policing costs and policing infrastructure. You know, what about us? Yeah, so you're saying, okay, if they're going to do this special deal, give a big pile of money to Surrey, you want a piece of the action, too. Like, you think you should get money, too. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I mean, I want to hesitate. I'm not not sort of hitting and putting my hand out. It's like, uh, well, where's the equity here? So, you know, I need a new police station. I need all kinds of infrastructure for policing. I'm growing at uh, the fastest-growing municipality in Metro Vancouver by percentage. You know, we're doing our part for the housing supply uh, crisis that the Premier and I agree on. 
but, you know, do I get a new police station just because I create some drama? Yeah. Okay. What about uh, Mike Farnworth was asked about this and he said, well, come on, we just gave like a billion bucks to all the municipalities to help them out with their costs. How much, how much money did Langley Township get out of that, that pot of money there? The 24 million out of the 1 billion. Oh, okay. 24. So you just got 24 million from the province. Isn't that enough? Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Surrey got 90 million. So Surrey got uh, 10% (laughs) of that billion dollars and they used metrics from, uh, 2015 and, and onward, which was a significant uh, disadvantage to the township. We're growing very rapidly here in the last five years. And, yeah. uh, you know, the infrastructure challenges we're facing, the housing supply that we're adding, um, that $24 million doesn't even touch it. And, you know, again, uh, you know, you do $100 million for Surrey here, $150 million for there. I mean, at some point, it just it becomes a bit suspect and questionable. You know, if you have endless money for Surrey, uh, what about the rest of us in the region that are, are following the premier's lead on housing? Uh, you know, where's the money for us? Right. Speaking to Langley Township Mayor Eric Woodward, well, I guess the um, the explanation from the province is that they're putting this big pile of money on the table for Surrey to help them pay for this policing transition from the RCMP to a new municipal police force. Now, if you compare that to the township of Langley, you guys have the RCMP there, correct? That's correct. We yeah. are. We are. You know, we have the RCMP. No plans to to move away from the RCMP. Right. So, therefore, why would you expect to get some money if you're not transitioning? Like they're saying that Surrey is going to get this money because they're transitioning yeah. to a more expensive police force, but you guys are not transitioning. So, why should you get yeah. some money? Yeah. No. Fair enough. I mean, that's that's going to be the response. However, you know, the the previous position was that uh, Surrey would also not. You know, last council term, last term under McCallum, the position was no money for Surrey for this either. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden there's money to, I guess, uh, try to coax uh, Mayor Locke and her council in the direction the province wants. I mean, right. Surrey can, you know, Surrey's got you know 600,000 people out there on the way to that. They have a significant budget. I mean, if they choose to transition, why are British Columbia taxpayers putting the bill for that? You know, it doesn't occur to me to call the province and, and ask for money for a new police station. Right. So yeah. I don't do it. But uh, maybe maybe it should occur to me. Maybe I should start uh, mm. expecting money for, for policing. What are you hearing kind of on the local political grapevine in this? Like when you speak to other mayors, other councillors in your own community, you know, and, and other communities as well, are you hearing similar concerns? Like what's with this special deal here? I mean, I think we do. I mean, uh, we're leading up to the decision, you know, what, you know, again, going back to what I said at the beginning, what message does it send to, to not just my residents and taxpayers with the RCMP, but other municipal forces uh, there with the RCMP or other municipalities that that uh, use a, a, a municipal police force who who didn't receive this kind of support. Um, so I mean, or, or you know, maybe maybe a lot of us would. You no, know, Langley won't, but maybe others would consider transitioning to a, a police force if they were going to receive similar funding. So it oh. seems like endless money for Surrey and, and not so much for for the rest of us. And that's certainly what I'm hearing and, and how it certainly feels to many of us. Mayor Woodward, thank you for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, and uh, reach out again to me anytime. I think uh, the, you know, the Township of Langley has got a great story to tell around housing and doing our part, and, and uh, we're drama-free. And so maybe maybe <laughs> the province should should reward municipalities that, uh, that aren't causing these kinds of headaches and just getting housing built. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you. Eric Woodward okay, there. Thanks. Thank okay. you. Eric Woodward, the mayor of the Township of Langley is saying, well, Surrey's getting all this money. We're, we'd like to get some money, too. Let's quickly check in with Cash, Heed, Richmond City Councillor, former Solicitor General of B.C. Cash, thanks for coming on. Good morning, Mike. What do you think about what you just heard? I mean, is that a legitimate gripe from other municipalities saying, wait a second here, this is a special deal for Surrey here, we want some money too? No, 
Not at all. I think we've got to really separate the issue here. There is no free pot of money, and as you indicated, under the Growing Communities Fund, all the municipalities have received uh, additional money from the province. Everyone is asking for more, Mike, and uh, that is part of the problem. What's missing is the fact that there is only one taxpayer here, whether it's going to Surrey, whether it's going elsewhere in the province of British Columbia, there's only one taxpayer. The burden is borne by the taxpayer, and we have to be very cognizant of this, whether we're transitioning, policing, or any other cost expenditure by our governments. Do you think, what do you think about the situation that we face here now? I mean, we've got a recommendation from the province for the city of Surrey to continue to this new police force. They put a pile of money on the table to, to help them get do that. The, the city of Surrey digging in saying, no, we're keeping the Mounties. What do you, what do you make of the whole situation? Well, it was within their uh, lawful authority to make that strong recommendation. I think they've backed Surrey into a corner with respect to what is going on here. You've got to remember it was originally Surrey that wanted to transition from this, and this included Brenda Locke, who in 2018 ran on that transition. And if you recall, she did a backflip, and she said because it was so costly that she could step away from that. Now she's saying it's not about money, it's actually about public safety. At the end of the day, the taxpayers in Surrey have to be very cognizant of what the offer is on the table and the fact that it's unattainable for Surrey to retain the RCMP given the parameters that the Solicitor General has put in place with regard to transitioning back or transitioning forward. that's not what the RCMP is saying though, right? Like they're saying they can meet these conditions and continue. Well, Mike, I saw some excerpts from the report where in fact they were going to fulfill the requirements in Surrey by taking members from other municipalities, backfilling them through overtime, double time, which is again paid by the taxpayers. We have a shortage of police officers all across North America right now. The plan for the RCMP to ensure there was enough officers to provide protective services in Surrey was a plan that would actually make other areas have less law enforcement officers, if you want to use the term boots on the ground, because of Surrey. So it's an, okay. again, it's unattainable to retain the RCMP or flip back. So you believe, therefore, that Surrey should take the deal. They should take the money that's been put on the table here, and that would be a good thing for the city of Surrey and for the taxpayers of Surrey? Absolutely. If you recall, originally it was going to be a 17.5% tax increase through the growth fund. They got $90 million to bring it down to 12.5. If they take this deal, and there still is time because it does not go into the province till May 15th, like all of us under the community charter have to have it in, they could lower this a couple more points because the money is available now. The path forward provides secure policing that people can count on now and for the long term. The best way to ensure public safety and to put this difficult time behind us is with a municipal police force in Surrey. Okay, that's uh, Solicitor General Mike Farnworth making the big non, non-decision. He makes a recommendation to keep the uh, Surrey Police Service in Surrey on Friday. Boy, the fallout and aftermath continuing here. Kashid is my guest. Lots of calls. Ivan in Surrey. Hi, Ivan. Go ahead. Hello, Michael. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Okay, Michael, uh, you know, this has uh, gone around and around, and everybody is making the assumption that this is a fait accompli and uh, all this sort of thing. 
You know, we got, uh, first of all, I believe that we won. I believe that the RCMP will stay in Surrey. This was brought up at the municipal election right at the beginning when Brenda Locke was, was doing that. Everybody in Surrey knew about that, and they knew the costs were going to be attached to that. And this is not a win-win for anybody. Uh, the win is for uh, keep the RCMP here. And I give you that sort of thing because now he's come out. Farnworth is now actually giving out this document that he says, oh, uh, the Surrey police are going to be the best way to go. Well, in the last four years, the Surrey police have not shown any sort of anything that they can do there. And uh, now all of a sudden, you're going to say that the RCMP is no good because they've been here for the last uh, oh, hundreds, nearly 100 years. 70, 73 years, I think. Three years now. Yeah. Talk about a, a, a police force. Now, who would you rather put your uh, your future in? A police force that actually doesn't exist at this stage and hasn't got a plan and hasn't worked out a plan and is still flailing around and that type of thing, as opposed to the RCMP. So we've okay. never seen either of those reports from the RCMP and the uh, the uh, uh, SPS. They've been completely redacted. Thank so you for the thank you for the call. Thank you for the call, Ivan. Just in the interest of time, get Cash's response. Kashid, your thoughts? There's 1,500 vacancies in the RCMP right now. Call them soft or hard. The Solicitor General has said an additional 277 must be filled before Surrey even looks at. Uh, moving people over. So it's a non-negotiable uh, parameters. It's impossible to meet the iconic organization. It's not about the men and women out there serving, uh, serving the communities. It's about the organization and the flaws within the organization is why we need the reforms. Let's go to Dave and Mission. Hi, Dave. Go ahead. Oh, hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. A couple sure. quick here. Uh, as a taxpayer in the, and I'm probably speaking for the rest of the province here, why are we going to foot the bill for that crap show going on in Surrey? Oh, yeah. And the other thing is, how is cash, why is it elite, why is it not, um, a, are the RCMP not able to poach members from other de- de- detachments in the province, but Surrey Police Service is going to be able to poach members from whatever detachment they want, including the one in Richmond where Cash Heat is. Why is that okay? Okay, well, that's a really interesting point, Cash. Your thoughts here, because one of the one of the key um, the key ru- markers that Farnworth has laid down here is he said if you want to continue with the RCMP, you're not allowed to hire away RCMP officers from other detachments. Does that that same rule doesn't apply to the Surrey Police Service though? Does it? They can hire for, they can hire RCMP officers, can't they? Yes, they can. Matter of fact, they can hire throughout North America, and their recruiting practices are going beyond just uh, British Columbia. They're going throughout Canada, and I think you will see success in their uh, strategy that they have to recruit new officers. Again, Mike, there's a, a shallow pool of applicants in policing right now, and I think we have to be very strategic what we do with it. Again, the Solicitor General has said, look, I need to be, and he is responsible for all of British Columbia, not just Surrey. So I think it, it's wise for him to do what he did and politically savvy, from my point of view, to ensure security throughout the province. Let's go to Brian in North Vancouver. Hi, Brian. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Hi, Cash. I one quick qu- question, Mike. Um, um, I, I, I don't really, whether it's the Mounties or Surrey, I don't, you know, it's confusing to me. But um, my question to you guys is, uh, if it is Surrey police, how long, how long will it take to build up the numbers to properly protect Surrey? 
Kashino, what what is the timeline for the complete phase into the new police service? I believe it's three years uh, yeah. that the but, transition will be until it hits its full complement of people. They're way behind schedule already, though, right? Correct. Yes, based yeah. on the uh, chaos that has been created. <laughs> oh, man. The chaos is continuing here, for sure. Cash, thank you for coming on. A pleasure, Mike. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Let's talk about the deadly toll of drug addiction and overdose deaths in our province now. They continue at record highs for illicit drug deaths in our province. We continue to have about six overdose deaths every single day. And one of the biggest culprits for this reign of death we're seeing from these drug overdoses, fentanyl. And the fentanyl that is being smuggled into our country. I got Mayor Brad West standing by from Port Coquitlam to discuss. First, let's have a listen to the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken here. Mayor West just had a, a meeting with him here at a summit in Colorado. Here he is speaking to CBS News in Denver about fentanyl trafficking. Have a listen to this. Last year in the United States, we seized enough fentanyl to kill every single American. And that's the fentanyl we seized. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited the crime lab to see for himself just how the facility detects fentanyl and other synthetic opioids. This is a problem that requires us to work at a local level, at a national level, and at an international level. Okay, you mentioned at an international level when it comes to fentanyl smuggling, and, and that's why my next guest was invited there to this summit meeting. Brad West, the mayor of Port Coquitlam, very pleased to welcome him back. Thanks a lot for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, it's not every day you see a, a local mayor here in B.C. get a meeting with the U.S. Secretary of State. How did all this come together? <laughs> well, that's for sure. Uh, you know, growing up in, in Port Coquitlam, raised by a, a single mom, I don't think I ever had meeting with the Secretary of State on my bingo card. But yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I, I had to read the invitation a couple times when it came in. But I was contacted by the, the U.S. Embassy, and I think people will know that I've been very outspoken on this issue in British Columbia, and I received an invitation uh, to meet with the Secretary of State for an hour alongside uh, Mayor of Denver and Mayor of Tijuana, uh, and really that discussion was quite a substantive discussion and very much along the lines of the clip you just played, which is the people who are involved in this business are international, and our response has to be international as well, and that means a far greater degree of coordination than we have had previously. So uh, it was uh, certainly one of you know, the more important meetings that I've ever had as my time as mayor. Okay, is that very interesting? So you had one American mayor, one mayor from Mexico, and one mayor from Canada in this meeting. What, was, what did you guys talk about? Well, we talked about what we're seeing on the ground. So I was able to share with uh, Secretary Blinken and the other mayors uh, what has transpired in Metro Vancouver. And it, it's a really sad story. And I, you know, they were quite shocked, actually, because British Columbia, Metro Vancouver, has become ground zero for a lot of this. You know, we are seeing uh, seven to eight people die 
every single day in this province yeah. because of uh, opioid death. Uh, the vast, vast majority of those, upwards of 90%, are fentanyl-linked. We're seeing uh, the blood money that is gained off of those deaths of our citizens to the tune of billions and billions of dollars, uh, then washed clean. We've talked about this as the so-called Vancouver model. So Vancouver has not only become ground zero for opioid deaths and fentanyl, it has also become a world-renowned place for money laundering. And so we talked about the need to uh, target those who, on an international level, are making billions of dollars off of the deaths of our fellow citizens. And the secretary talked about wanting to build a global coalition to do that, to create uniform laws. So you can't have criminals go and take advantage of weakness in, for instance, Canadian laws, which, which unfortunately are quite deficient, particularly when it comes to money laundering. And so we had a very substantive discussion about all of that uh, and needing the political will to have a much more cohesive and uniform approach to this so that we're hand-in-hand in, hand in going, on, uh, going to take on the people who are engaged in this business. Let's have a, another listen to the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, speaking here at this summit meeting that you attended. So here is the U.S. Secretary of State talking about the, the international dimensions of this fentanyl trafficking. Let's listen. Much of the fentanyl that's coming into the United States starts halfway around the world with perfectly legal chemicals that may be produced in one country, then sent somewhere else, including to Mexico, and diverted into uh, illegal use. But if we're not working at every single one of these levels, we're not going to solve the problem. Second connection to this trafficking, and you mentioned you were in a, in a meeting with the mayor of Tijuana there. What did, where does Canada fit into that, the, this uh, international trafficking uh, system? Well, unfortunately, uh, Canada is one of the weak links. Um, the United States has really stepped up uh, uh, their, not only their laws, but they, the FBI is going after uh, those involved in the uh, financing aspect of this with a lot of gusto. Uh, the secretary in our meeting called out by name the government of China uh, as being a source of the fentanyl precursors. Uh, I mean, I may have missed it, but I, you can't get a, a, a federal government official in this country to even say those words. Um, so I think our head has been in the sand. Uh, I think a lot of politicians are very concerned about upsetting uh, the Chinese Communist Party, and so they won't call out by name the fact that that's where a number of these precursors are coming in. Metro yeah. Vancouver is a port city. Uh, you know, Mike, we're so deficient in the security around our ports. We used to have a port police. That was disbanded. Uh, so, you know, it was a very substantive discussion with the secretary and with the other mayors about um, Canada really needing to step up its game and be a partner uh, in dealing with this, because if we don't, we are going to continue to be, you know, often the port of entry for this uh, because of the lack of enforcement, the lack of uh, police presence. Uh, and we've seen the results of that. We are losing well, so many of our people to this. Yeah. What 
Well, if you doubled, let's say you even doubled or tripled the police budget, I wonder if it's even possible to stop the flow of this drug into the country because when you read about how highly concentrated this drug is, fentanyl, it's just a tiny amount can be cut into multiple hundreds of doses uh, to be sold on the street. So it's not like you've got, you know, there, this is being smuggled bales of pot or something or or, or huge huge packages of, of cocaine. This can be a very, very small amount of highly toxic drugs that can be smuggled into the country and difficult to stop. It can even come in through the mail. So how do you stop that? Well, I think there's a number of things. Uh, first, uh, the United States has it right when they're going after those who look are, who are trying to profit out of it. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, for so many of these transnational crimes or criminal organizations, what is it about? It's about money. And they don't care how many people they kill as long as they're making their billions of dollars. And so we have to go after them, uh, you know, follow the money. That is one of the key things. And, and look what has happened in British Columbia in that regard. The, the biggest case uh, that we ever had in this province with respect to drug trafficking and fentanyl and money, la- money laundering was Silver International. Yeah. which was a, you know, uh, uh, an underground bank in Richmond. And what happened there? You know, they had criminal charges. The police did, had a multi-year investigation. And on the eve of it supposed to be going to trial, the charges were stayed. Yeah. So yeah. how are people in our province supposed to have any confidence that we've got our act together when, when something like that happens, right? So you've got to go after the money. But you also, like, I, I mean, I'm not naive. You're, you're absolutely right. You're not going to get all of it. You're not going to stop all of it coming in when it's so easy. But, my God, you at least have to have some police presence. You know, at least make it more difficult. Maybe we can start to reduce the amount while simultaneously going after those who are involved in it uh, at point of origin, uh, going after those who are profiting off of it. I mean, that's the sort of multi-pronged international approach. But you got to do something, uh, you know, and from where I sit, we're not doing a hell of a lot. Speaking to Port Coquitlam, Mayor Brad West uh, is meeting with the U.S. Secretary of State in Denver on fentanyl smuggling and other issues. Let me ask you really quick while I have you here. Uh, We started the show today talking about the government's decision on policing in Surrey. And I don't know, man, what a mess this is now. You've got the city of Surrey digging in and saying we're going to keep the RCMP anyway, the province recommending um, keep keep going on the transition to a local Surrey Surrey police service force, putting a pile of money on the table to help Surrey pay for it. Where do you stand on this? What do you think of it? Well, I feel for the people of Surrey, first of all, because it's like just a, um, a nightmare that won't end. Um, someone needs to make a decision. Uh, and, and quite frankly, I actually think the province needs to make a decision, not only as it relates to Surrey, but probably our entire province and region. And, you know, I am increasingly of the view that we should have regional policing in Metro Vancouver. Um, a lot of mayors will say, well, no, I don't want that. I, I, I don't want to, you know, lose local control. Uh, and, after five years of being mayor, I can tell you the idea of local control policing is a fallacy. I mean, that just, that doesn't exist. 
uh, you know, certainly we identify here's our community safety priorities and the police take that under advisement. But you have a whole structure within police that are making policing decisions based on uh, data and crime trends and the things that they're seeing. Um, this patchwork of policing that we have in our region is a problem, and it doesn't exist in most major other metro areas. Yeah. And I think the problem should pull the, you know, pull the Band-Aid off and move us to regional policing. All right. Port Coquitlam Mayor Brad West is my guest. Lots of calls. Let's get right at it. Daryl in Coquitlam. Hi. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to ask uh, the mayor. Uh, I, I live in Coquitlam. And what is the political impediment to forming a regional police force? Those recommendations, Mayor West, go all the way back to Wally Opal when he he reviewed it and said, this is what Metro needs. I mean, we know living in the Tri-City area that School District 43 works. Why can't we get a regional police force for Metro Vancouver? Brad West. Well, I, I think it's very similar to what you're seeing in play out in Surrey. Look at how the province and others are twisting themselves up like a pretzel uh, just in one municipality. So times that by 21 in terms of Metro Vancouver, and I think there's your answer. But like I said, uh, you know, from my perspective, I hear from mayors all the time, well, you know, you would lose your local community uh, control or input. And again, I think that's just a fallacy. We need to look at this from the perspective of what is the best model to keep people in this region safe. And that should yeah. give us our answer. Not, you know, oh, what mayor are we going to piss off? Who cares? You know, <laughs> and so you got to get the province to, I mean, hey, Mike, mayors come and go. Uh, so yeah. don't worry about, you know, upsetting a single mayor. The province needs to just rip well, the Band-Aid off. They need to make the decision, show the leadership and get it done. I, I think it's it's easier said than done, though, because you have a lot of municipalities that like having their own local municipal police force, and the, the mayor likes being able to call the local police chief and get stuff done, and citizens like to be able to get an immediate, uh, immediate response. Like, I'm just taking a look right now at the website for the Delta Police Department in, in Delta. Their motto is, no call too small. That's their official motto. No call too small. So you can phone us about anything. You got a you got a cat stuck in a tree. What happened? You phone me. Phone the phone the Delta police. They people in Delta like that, right? Yeah, and you look. Maybe you have a, an ability to layer on uh, a more local uh, type of uh, model as well on top of it. But you know, for your bread and butter policing, you know, forget about cats and trees. For your bread yeah. and butter policing. For dealing with organized crime and gangs, we need to be doing that on a regional level from my perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, and there's no reason why, even with a, a regional police, you can't still have that level of local community engagement. Certainly, I would expect that. Uh, but what we have now, the patchwork system, I mean, I don't know. That's what we've been rolling with for a long, long time. And, it, yeah. you know, I don't think it's serving us as, as well as it should be. Back to the phone calls, Jim in Surrey. Hi, Jim, go ahead. Hi, hi Mike and Mayor. Um, have you guys ever read the book Willful Blindness by our best Canadian uh, reporter, Sam Cooper? Because all the drugs, the money laundering, the house prices, the corruption in politics, and you know what I'm talking about there, it is all in there. That, that Read that book. 
it is such an eye opener because by the time you're done, you've done read it, you will you will not believe the stuff that's in that book, and it all points okay. to one thing. That's why we're in the problems we're in to today. Okay, Brad West, we have 30 seconds here. Uh, I've read the book. I've read it twice. I would give Sam Cooper the Order of Canada if it were up to me, because I think he's done so much, along with others, to expose uh, what has been happening and the fact that we have been so poorly served by our political leadership in this country who have put their head in the sand and have ignored this. They can't even say the words, like I said, and we need to face this stuff square on if we're going to have a country and a province and communities for our next generation. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mike. All right, let's talk teeth now, and it's time to answer your dental care questions. And here's one for you. How often should you brush your teeth? How about flossing your teeth? Do most people floss every day? What are the risks to your teeth and your health overall if you do not do daily preventive care for your teeth? Let's discuss all these important questions now with my guest, Dr. Paresh Shah. Dr. Shah is a dentist and a dental care advocate. Very pleased to welcome Dr. Shah to the show. Thanks a lot for coming on today. Thank you, Mike. Uh, Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, you bet. Thanks a lot for doing it. So let's talk first of all about, okay, uh, one of the things that I know that you're you're a, a fierce advocate for is people need to have adequate and effective preventive care for their oral health, right? Like you've got to brush your teeth, you've got to floss. What are the risks if you don't adequately take care of your of your of your teeth? Tell, tell me about this dirty mouth syndrome here that people can get. <laughs> oh wow! Well, you know the the consequences of not keeping your teeth clean are inflammation bleeding, swelling, infection. It's like anything else. Like, you know, a lot of people, it's interesting, will, you know, they'll have bleeding gums, but they don't seek help for that. But if you are cut or bleeding anywhere else on your body, you address it. If you address it by stopping it, by using an antibacterial, by by seeking medical attention. But uh, yeah, like, you know, the consequences of having plaque and bacteria on your teeth and around your gums can lead to inflammation. No different than if you had a sliver in your hand. You wouldn't leave it there because it gets red and swollen and tender. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then it can lead to, tell me, talk to me a little bit about gum disease and, and how, how, how big of a problem is that? Well, it's, it's actually more than uh, people really think about. Like, you know, the percentage of people that actually have inflamed and bleeding gums is pretty high. And, uh, you know, depending on the stats, some people, you know, some studies will show 60 to 70 percent, sometimes even a little bit more. But but the reality is when when you're not removing plaque effectively on your teeth, which is basically food debris and bacteria, uh, it'll lead to inflammation. And with that inflammation, you you get tenderness. Um, And there's also with the bacteria collecting there, you know, if it's not removed properly, it cakes on the tooth. And it's called tartar, you know, and, and all of a sudden that's even harder to remove. And there's a risk of getting cavities. Mm-hmm. Let's talk, I was taking a look at an Angus Reid opinion poll survey that says that one out of three people in British Columbia do not invest in daily preventive oral care 
like brushing their teeth. Like, oh, come on now. Are you telling me this many people don't brush their teeth? Is that true? You know what? Uh, I hear so many stats from all sorts of different uh, places and cities. And, yeah, I mean, it's amazing that there will be people uh, who I've seen over my 32 years where, you know, they just refuse to brush. Um and they'll come in because now their their gums are red and swollen and they're bleeding and it's painful. They're saying, well, what can you do to help me? And and some sometimes, a lot of times, it's a simple thing. It's just removing that plaque and bacteria. Yeah. How about flossing? Whenever I go to the dentist, my dentist always asks me, how often do you floss your teeth? And I always say the same answer, and it's not as often as I should. And I remember he told me, that's what everybody says. Everybody, he says, everybody answers that question the same way. <laughs> and, you know, there's all these jokes about people coming in and they're actually, they're, you know, they're, they're, their gums are all tender when they come in. It's because they're, they're like, they're trying to floss before they come in to impress. Um, <laughs> the reality yeah. is, any, like, truthfully, anytime you're eating, you're going to end up with the potential of having bacteria and food stuck between your teeth. Is it practical to do it every single time? No. But uh, if you were going to do it, I would recommend at least a couple of times a day, one at night before you go to sleep, uh, certainly in the morning or after a, a big meal. And uh, that would be that would be very helpful, like mechanically removing plaque and food from between your teeth is very, very helpful. Right. How about mouthwash or like a mouth rinse? Does that help? It can help. Uh, that's a great question because there are some products that are specific for reducing inflammation. For example, Colgate PerioGuard has an antibacterial formula which is clinically proven to reduce inflammation. And it's actually almost like a system. They actually have a, an ultra soft toothbrush and they're designed to help protect the gums and remove some of the plaque and bacteria that actually lead to gingival gum inflammation. So they about- can help. It's, it's a great adjunct. How about fluoride? Do, you, do your teeth need need fluoride? It's so controversial. There are some people that are so anti-fluoride. The amount of fluoride that you'd have in your toothpaste or in, in some of the water, actually, I mean, a lot of studies show that it actually helps reduce uh, the cavities. And so it, it's been something that, that's helpful. But um, So there is a benefit for some people who are at high risk of cavities. All right, we're talking about your teeth with my guest, Dr. Paresh Shah. We're talking about ways to keep your mouth and your teeth healthy here. So let, let me ask you an, another one that's always I've always found kind of interesting, and that is these teeth whitening products. So these are very popular. People want their teeth to be white and bright, and you can buy, you know, crest strips and stuff at the store. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend those? Do they work? Are they effective? Do they help in your oral health at all, or is it just sort of... Um, is to keep your teeth white? You know, the majority of them are to keep your teeth white, and they're, they're kind of, you know, helping with some of the superficial stains. So if you've had your teeth cleaned effectively, especially by a dental hygienist, uh, professionally clean, and then you're trying some of the, the whitening products, they work. I find the analogy, like some of the over-the-counter products you don't know all the active ingredients that are in there. Usually they're removing stains. The ones that you get from a dental office, they're more prescription strength. So they're, they're 
they tend to be uh, the work a little more effectively than the ones over the counters. But it doesn't mean that the over the counter ones don't work. It's just they may not be as strong. So it's almost analogous. I, I sometimes explain to my patients that, you know, if you're going to get Tylenol, you can buy it. But if you need Tylenol 3 or something else, you have to get a prescription. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yes, some of them are effective at, uh, at, at brightening up the teeth. Are, are, is a trip to the dentist typically going to be painful if you are going to get a filling or a, let's say, the worst of all, the root canal, you know, which people have described as a slow trip through hell, and I mean, I've had a couple of root canals. One was no problem at all. I didn't feel a thing. It was it was easy peasy, no sweat. And then I had another one root canal where I don't know if the freezing was not taking. I mean, it was it was pretty gnarly. Like it was just not a pleasant thing. Would you say like if you have to get a root canal, should you go to a what should you expect? Should you go to a specialist for that? Um. You don't have to. There's some great root canal specialists. They're called endodontists. Uh, I personally uh, don't do root canals. Uh, I just, and, but I have a specialist that's fantastic. But here's the thing: what I always tell my patients, it does not have to hurt. Where it can be uncomfortable or painful, having um, having some work done is if you've waited too long and a tooth is already abscessed. When you have an area of infection, sometimes the anesthetic does not work very well in that environment. So when you're waiting too long to get a tooth pulled out or to get a root canal done and that infection is really set in, sometimes it's hard to freeze. But otherwise, a root canal is, is essentially doing a filling inside the root, taking the nerve out of it and then actually putting a filling inside there. And right. it, it really shouldn't be painful at all unless it's just left too long. All right. We're talking teeth with my guest, Dr. Paresh Shah, and taking your call, 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Let's go to Tina in Kelowna. Hi, Tina. Go ahead. Hello. So I'm wondering, I have my original filling from when I was a child, so the metal. How important is it to get those changed out? Okay, good question, Dr. Shaw. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, my philosophy is this. Just because you had them done that long ago uh, doesn't mean you have to have them replaced. If if they are servicing you well, like you're functioning fine, they're not symptomatic, and they look good on an X-ray as well as clinically, I tend to leave them. Um, I don't take them out just because... Yeah, I mean, honestly, this was this happened uh, two years ago for me. Now it seems like it's only been a year, but it was almost two years ago. I had one of mine had cracked, and I went back and looked. It was done forty six years. <laughs> it, it lasted wow. forty six years, and I didn't even know that it was cracked until one of my assistants had uh, taken uh, like pointed it out uh, on an exam on me, and they were like, "Hey, this is cracked." And that's when I had it replaced. So, no, you, you, in all honesty, there should be an indication why. It's not just because it's there. Yeah. Uh, Tina, did you want to say something else there? Uh, it was more the metal in it that I was concerned with because now there are. No, there are, are you... other options if you don't want. There's no, there, there aren't any risks for having that. Uh, just because, you know, there used to be all this business hysteria about having mercury and everything, but the amount is just, you know, in, like just so tiny, 
Um, the the bottom line is if if it's not if you don't like the appearance, fine, have it replaced. But if there's nothing wrong with it and it's not bothering you, there's no reason to do that except by choice. Tina, thank you for the call. Star ninety eight ninety eight is the number to call in your cell. Let's go to Harpreet in Surrey. Hi, Harpreet. Go ahead, please. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? I'm good. Go ahead. So my question is, um, I I have two. I have four wisdom teeth that that I'm getting um, extracted, and I'm worried that um, which option should I do? Should I do the mask option where they sedate me? I've been doing that for years. Or should I try the IV option? What does the well, dentist think I mean, of that's that? Not, like, in terms of that, that's not really my expertise. The bottom line is when you're talking to the surgeon, you may want to uh, talk to the, the anesthetist that's doing it or the surgeon just to find out what your health risks are for being under general or IV. Most people and most of my patients, when I refer them to a surgeon, Almost all of them are doing intravenous sedation. It's safe, it's easy, it's re- quickly reversible, and you don't have a lot of lingering effects after. So I would say the majority of my patients are doing that, but the best person to answer that is your anesthesiologist or the surgeon that's doing the sedation for you. Harpreet, good luck with that. I had uh, wisdom teeth taken out a few years ago, and I had the the intravenous sedation that you were just describing there, Dr. Shaw, and I remember it was quite yeah. effective. I remember coming out of it, and it was fine. I did feel like I was in a car crash for about a week after it, though. I mean, it was the, recover- the recovery from getting your, your wisdom teeth out. Or, I guess it varies by patient by patient. I felt, I felt terrible for a few days. Yeah, no, and like for, for the IV, you know, I've had that as well, but I didn't really have that as an issue. Most of the time, IV sedation, it's not a big problem, but it also depends on the types of drugs they're giving. And I yeah. haven't performed, like I used to do that, but it's been over 20 years since <laughs> I have, so I don't know the improvements in some of the drugs that are available. Yeah. Star 9898 on your cell is the number to call. Robin in Maple Ridge. Hi, Robin, go ahead. Hi, hey, Michael fan for a long time okay i'm coming up to um retirement age here and i've been dealing with partials i don't have fillings or any of that i just have um apparently bad teeth roots whatever they are so i'm working on partials i'm coming up to senior age i have not been uh faithful with blue cross at all and i'm wondering when i move into dentures how am i going to afford all this Okay, so when you say partial, does that mean like a pars- partial uh, dentures? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and you, and you're going to... Be mo- yeah, I'm going to be moving into dentures soon. Okay, full-on um, full dentures. Dr. Shaw, is that an expensive proposition? Well, it can be. I guess it depends on what the diagnosis is, what your condition is, and how much work's involved. You know, it's a lot easier to deal with prevention and small things than to let things pester when they get worse it gets a lot more expensive as well so yeah yeah for sure okay we just have a minute left here dr shaw so what would be your your bottom line advice to people in terms you've got to stay up you've got to stay with your preventive maintenance every single day correct yeah absolutely so you know one of the things that's an issue is a lot of people don't really know how to properly brush and floss so the importance of seeing a dental professional like a dentist and their hygienist, you know, to, to make sure that everything is kind of starting at, at 
ground zero that everything's all clean and learn how to do that and take care of your teeth properly that way. So seeing your dentist and hygienist, you know, on average, most adults a couple of times a year, some people need a little bit more. Um, and then having the appropriate, uh, you know, extra tools that you have, like a floss or a water floss or water pick and a nice brush. So that's, that's why I like Colgate Perigard, we usually recommend it for our patients. It's got a antibacterial formula and it's got a nice toothbrush that actually uh, is ultra soft and protects the gums. So having a good system and a good routine. Dr. Shaw, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it a lot. I appreciate it very much, Mike. Uh, I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.